0: to CX today. My name is Charlie. I'm the senior editor here and today I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Nicola Millard, Principal Innovation Partner at BT. Nicola, it's great to have you join us. How are you doing today?
1: I am very well, Charlie. How are you?
0: Yes, very very good, thanks. And I'm very excited uh, to be talking to you today, especially kind of about this really interesting uh, topic of the latest uh, trends in CX. And I want to kick off with perhaps the most jazzy of those trends, and that is the uh, metaverse. So I just want to know, kind of, does the uh, does CX in the metaverse excite you, and kind of, if so, why?
1: It's very weird with a lot of these trends. Um, uh, I mean, the metaverse is definitely not new. And we were looking at um, customer experience in Second Life about 15, 20 years ago. Um, I remember we, we built a bank branch there and, you know, you had avatars that would welcome you and, and you could do service there. And it didn't quite quite work. I mean, there were a few reasons why it didn't work, aside from the fact that navigation around Second Life was a bit of a nightmare. But um, but, uh, but yes, I'm getting a, a sort of big sense of deja vu, I guess, with a lot of the metaverse conversations. I think there are several things that are interesting in terms of the metaverse that we probably need to think about, although the metaverse itself, I keep saying, is Well, it's science fiction. Um, uh, It hasn't quite. It's going to take a while to get that ultimate sort of Ready Player One or Matrix like vision. Whether we want the Matrix is is an interesting debate as well. But um, but I think the sort of if you look at the building blocks of the metaverse, there's some really interesting stuff going on. So obviously, there's there's things like virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality. Um, So really, around okay, well, what what capabilities could that give? um, I mean, it's things like um, providing a richer 3D experience rather than the sort of flat 2D experience. So you can see that potentially you could start to to, uh, explore 3D spaces in real time, render potentially with customer service um, people actually within that. So uh, if you were building a a virtual retail experience, for example, it needn't just be the product. So you could also have your people wandering around or indeed bots initially to, to talk to customers. And engage with them and then potentially link back into humans. Although I think I have issues with VR. I must admit I'm not a fan. I call it vomity reality. Um, so I think there's 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 a vomit problem um, still that we need to solve. And particularly things like the glasses, I think are a bit of a well it's about ba- it's it's a barrier uh, to adoption not all of it requires glasses of course we can use uh, the smartphone or indeed even just the pc screen to engage um so i think you know i think it, the the future's more pokemon go than than maybe the matrix uh, uh, in terms of that kind of thing more interesting though i think is volumetric video which is um the next generation of video so uh, this is everything from uh, real time generation of avatars. So obviously avatars are one of the building blocks of the metaverse. Uh, but volumetric video it, it also gets into the realm of holograms, which always excites me because I'm a Star Wars fan. Um, and you, any opportunity to stand as a hologram and go, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope is appealing to me. Um, so, uh, that, that, that sort of technology is becoming real. And again, that's, that's, the next generation video—it's bringing video into three D as well. So we can start to think about: well, could we use um, that kind of technology? It uses multiple cameras um, to capture again in real time, um, uh, potentially customer service people. So there's that there's that aspect of the sort of bringing the three D piece in. And then I think with the metaverse, the other aspect is the interesting aspect around collaboration. So um, whether we can push the bu- the bubble of collaboration out to the front line as well. So everything from remote diagnostics. So we've been doing quite a lot. Um, well, it's, been, it's a couple of years now that we've been doing it around um, uh, augmented reality for um, broadband diagnostics, for example. So the ability to actually um, uh, ask the customer for their permission to get access to their their, their their the camera and the light on their smartphone so that we can actually figure out what they've got plugged in in terms of their broadband setup. And we can use um, pattern recognition, a bit of AI um, to identify all of the standard wires and sockets and auto label them. So we can have a a remote engineer or revisor talking the customer through, yeah, you need to plug this in here. We can even annotate that as well. So the advantage for that with us is obviously sending an engineer out, it takes takes time and it also takes money. Um, So it's an expensive process sometimes and customers are having to wait for potentially the engineer to just go in and go well you've got the wrong thing plugged in um so that kind of technology can could actually augment the experience and then there's a ton of other stuff that we could do with with uh, with augmented reality especially so everything from um remote paramedics working with uh with um, with clinicians in the background. Um, again, we've got our 5G ambulance um, set up at the moment with an augmented reality headset, a paramedic with a haptic glove that's linked back to a a, a a remote clinician using, again, a headset so they can literally see through the paramedic's eyes, but they use a little joystick to to nudge them using the haptic glove to make sure they've got their hand in the right place. So on that particular one, that's all about, you know, supervising um, paramedics through procedures that they wouldn't be able to do unsupervised. So there's a ton of stuff that potentially we could start to do, extending that bubble of collaboration right out to the front line uh, to, to solve very practical customer problems. So, yeah, it's not all science fiction. I think the building blocks are there um, and are interesting in terms of how we actually apply them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So much great stuff there. And I think it's interesting, even going back to right at the beginning of your point there, kind of the fact that all this was tried out, went away and is now coming back with real momentum. It's a bit like um, maybe contact center AI was like in the 90s, it was played with a bit kind of went away and now it's everywhere. I um, hope maybe metaverse first will follow that trend. But I mean, the vomit reality point as well is something I can very much um, agree with having worn those goggles for about half an hour myself and lots of really uh, interesting stuff. The idea of using kind of AI powered bots in the Metaverse is fascinating. Kind of the remote diagnostics, the holograms even. I mean, there's so many ways this can go and it's very interesting stuff. But um, moving away from the potential solutions of the Metaverse to kind of a current reality um, the next trend was hybrid working, and kind of hybrid is now the norm in uh, a lot of customer for a lot of customer facing uh, employees. but kind of current hybrid environments are perhaps not best uh, perhaps not delivering the best customer service experiences. Uh, I was just wondering where you think maybe they could... Well, we've actually
1: just done a paper looking very specifically at the contact centre experience in the hybrid, um, mainly because uh, we did some research fairly early on in the uh, the pandemic that kind of highlighted the fact that um, particularly in the UK... Um, agents and managers were were struggling a bit um in terms of adapting um to this sudden overnight transition between you know being pretty much full-time in the contact center to to being pretty much full-time at home um we knew home working worked for agents because you know we did it way back in the 90s again not not new um and actually the experience was that the the, the employee experience did improve and and we know that employee experience and customer experience um, are very much conjoined but the difference then was they chose to work from home and to a certain extent the the pandemic was an unusual (laughs) exercise in remote working because people didn't have the choice and obviously not everyone has a great home setup and particularly we found that the agents that were struggling were frequently young, um, frequently in shared houses. Uh, so that meant that they were competing for both space and bandwidth. They didn't have a a separate room. Um, we we interviewed one one guy who who was living with his parents and had told his parents that they weren't allowed to talk during the day because he was on the phone with customers. And uh, if there was anything confidential, he he covered himself and, and his screen with a sheet. And I mean, hundred percent in terms of uh, of ingenuity there, but probably not sustainable. So. So that that aspect, I think, people struggled with. But we then did, um, I mean, my research colleagues, my fabulous research colleagues at, at Adastral Park, where, where I'm based, um, did some longitudinal interviews as well with agents, um, team leaders and managers and really tried to tease out, you know, what was their experience. And I think one of the big ones, particularly that we saw during the pandemic was, customers were coming in with quite emotive and complex issues. Um, And as knowledge workers, contact center agents especially are probably unique in in that very few of us get abused on a daily basis by customers, sadly. But because of that, you know, the frustrations of customers, the, and, and you know, the complexity of the call, it's easy if you're in a sort of uh, co-located space to spin your chair around and scream across, does anyone know about this? And it's easy from a management perspective uh, in terms of the team leaders. It's easy to see tears. It's easy to see stress if you're co-located. So I think, you know, one of the things that came out very strongly was if we're going to make this work, we've got to make the ex- employee experience work as well. And that involves creating these communities of coping, because as you said, hybrid is not going away. And actually agents, I mean, we we had 71% of agents saying that they wanted to work, not necessarily five days from a contact center, they wanted the choice to be able to work in other places. But to do that, we very much need, well, firstly, good knowledge tools for them because of that complexity, but also those communities of coping around, you know, maybe having agent buddies, um, team leaders always being available online as well as, you know, in the co-located space. And then actually very critically, although the technology and infrastructure is there to support that in terms of collaboration tools. You need a very open and honest culture as well to admit that you're struggling or you're stressed or you've just had a very bad call. So I think there's that aspect. Certainly, you know, conventional things like managing by walking around, very good leadership technique, you know, sit by coaching. All of that's changed as well. So I think in terms of the team leaders and and managers, initially they wanted everyone back. They wanted to be able to see everybody. But I think they had a, a lesson in, a very rapid lesson in how to manage remote teams and they know how to do that now. I think their anxieties are much more around that hybrid team now. So if they've got you know, half half the team physically co-located, half the team remote, how on earth do you start to manage that without getting proximity biases coming in? So if they're co-located with the team, do they you know offer preferential treatment to the team? So again, I think... The message coming through was we need to handhold team leaders and managers uh, through this this process. And I think that's coming through in a lot of the other research that we're doing about hybrid around no one has all of the answers here. Some of this is going to go horribly wrong. And if you have an open and uh, sort of experimental mindset on this, yeah, I think that's probably the way to go. So, yeah, I think that there are certain, certainly lots of challenges around hybrid. But I think generally what we found was both agents, managers, team leaders did appreciate that the choice and the trust and the autonomy uh, that, uh, that that was given uh, that, that, that they had during the pandemic. And they wanted to continue that in some form as we go forward.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's a very interesting um, topic and lots of uh, really great points there. And to kind of, I guess the kind of focus on the employee experience kind of makes it sound a bit cliche almost, but as you say, kind of that I love the example of the person that you interviewed who had to tell their parents to be quiet in their house for all day, the whole day and things. And I guess, as you said, it's uh, the most experimental companies will likely, I guess, find the best um answers within this but it's not going to be easy and kind of having those knowledge tools the collaboration platform i guess kind of the merger of ccas and ucas tools might also um, be a bit of a help there and lots of really great ideas and i think kind of it may also the kind of embracing of these uh, new platforms has also led to a uptick in the use of video which is our uh, third trend a video is an interesting topic because it was talked about a lot, but before the pandemic wasn't really implemented all that much in the contact centre. Now, where do you kind of see um, video fitting in the kind of... I mean, I've been talking
1: landscape? about video for a long time. Again, I reminisce. It was always the next big thing and it's been the next big thing for about 15 years. And <laughs> you're right. I mean, the tools were there. Uh, the video platforms were there um, before the pandemic. It, it, it was starting to be used. And I think the pandemic... Certainly accelerated the, the use of video. I mean, firstly, on our network, we saw uh, about 500% more more video going across our, our network, unsurprisingly, because we were using it a lot more than we had. We also, in our autonomous customer research, um, which we did back in well, the end of 2020, we're about to do it again, we're going to see what, what, what's changed, But um, but 85% of customers were saying that they actually would like to engage using video. Now, that for a start was a surprise stats. Uh, there's always surprise stats in that particular piece of research. Um, and I'm not so, sure it translates to, I want every interaction with a company to be a video interaction. Because I think the, the research that we had done prior to the pandemic still stands. And I think video does add value in certain niche areas, and those areas certainly, healthcare is one of them. Um, we've seen massive growth in healthcare um, for obvious reasons, really. You know, not not enough medical professionals, um, lots of demand. Um, so that ability to connect, and also obviously during the pandemic. They didn't really want you going into a to surgeries and, and hospitals so you know that that i think is going to accelerate um we we saw before the pandemic growth in things like financial advice um so um mortgage advice um, loan advice that kind of thing where it's again there's a there's a mortgage advisors do not grow on trees or exist in branches i've found but um but you know again a scarce a scarce um resource um And if given the choice, actually, a lot of customers, again, uh, research prior to the pandemic was showing that uh, if you if you if a customer turned up and said, I'd like a mortgage and, you know, they thumbed through the well, well well-thumbed diary and said, well, the mortgage advisor's in in two weeks time. Or would you like a video call now? Most customers would opt for the video call now because they want the advice now. So. So, again, that that sort of. Stuff where it's desirable to have uh, eyeball people, um, I think that that really does add a lot of value. Um, and then, as I mentioned earlier, things like remote diagnostics, where there's something visual in the task. Um, so being able to show people products and services, demonstrate them or fix them. Um, I think that's a really good use of video as well. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think we're going to see a sort of uh, video replacing the phone call. Um, for a start. Um, There are a lot of discussions, I mean, again, early on in the sort of adoption of video around, um, you know, do we need to uh, uh, employ really attractive agents now? Um, uh, Actually, that was one question we got asked uh, by an American company a while back, um, because if you're going to see them, again, do they need to be in uniform? Um, uh, Previously to having... Um, in virtual backgrounds there was a lot of discussion around branded rooms and certainly the ex- agent experience wasn't necessarily optimal because they were probably the only people in the contact center in a uniform sitting in a separately branded area so it wasn't really something that they enjoyed so again I think it's got its niche I think definitely customers know how to use video now and I think there are some real value adds but I don't think it's going to necessarily be the dominant channel as we go into the future.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine some of the kind of ethical things <laughs> there with uh, just hiring, um, attractive people. I think, uh, yeah, again, lots of interesting insights. And you did, uh, note towards the autonomous customer report. And I will say to anybody who hasn't kind of seen that to go ahead and look at uh, that because it's a really fascinating document. And, um, yeah, I look forward to reading the 2022 version. And in that 2022 version, I'm sure you're going to talk about conversational AI at some point. And I think it would be interesting just to get your take on kind of how you see the current state of conversational AI and where you think it can potentially improve. In the
1: yeah, future. I think from a customer experience perspective, the, the last autonomous customer was pointing towards the fact that maybe conversational AI wasn't that popular with customers. Um, I think the evidence at the moment is it's been deployed a lot now. Um, I think I saw banded about about 40% of corporate websites have some kind of conversational bot attached. Um The problem is one that very much parallels the rollout of IVR. And I've maintained this for a long time that um, those experiences where you would get trapped in a loop or you get cut off mid conversation are happening in the bot world now. Um, And that's why you can't develop a bot separately from your contact center because if the bot does fail, it does need to at some point be accelerated towards preferably a human with the right skills. So things like precision routing, skills-based routing still apply. Um, and also, preferably, you port the session across to the agent so the agent can just pick up where the bot failed. So I think that's that's one big learning that we've, we've learned um, over the past couple of years. Um, I think in terms of the, the sophistication of conversational AI, I mean, looking at things like GPT-3, for example, I mean, it's staggering um, how sophisticated, uh, the the, because they've given it so much data. And I keep saying these things don't work by magic, they work by data. So if you feed them the Internet, they start to become something that can have a conversation. But because they're not human and they lack context, you still, although they're interesting conversations that are often generated by GPT-3, try it, um, uh, they're not always... They're, they're sometimes a bit weird um so again they're not replacing humans um and I think that's that's the 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 big thing it's not about wiping out your human agents it's actually about taking all of the stuff that Human agents shouldn't be dealing with out, but then you know, absolutely making sure that they're 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 married um, into the process. So it's augmentation rather than replacement. So I and I again maintained that all along that your your agents' brains are a very valuable asset. The fact that they can be empathetic and caring, and actually do recognise things like context, um, and can solve very complex problems. Um, all of that, I think, is is something that we need to treasure. The AI very much is taking away that routine, um, mundane transactional stuff, hopefully, if it's implemented right. The other thing I would say with conversational bots is our experience has been that um, actually proactive bots work much better than reactive bots. So in other words, if you are telling the customer something like they've got an appointment or there's fraud on their account, if you start the conversation instantly, that makes it deep and narrow. And I think the trouble with the the, the ask me anything bots is it's not deep and narrow. It's broad and kind of fluffy. Um, and again, that's not an area that bots work very well in. So those proactive bots where you start the conversation, I think, work a lot better. Um, and I think that proactive trend is a very interesting one around AI, around targeting the customer with the right message on the right channel and at the right time i.e. not being annoying and telling th- you things that you don't want to know, telling you things you do want to know, and then obviously taking the bot to actually uh, yeah, or, or either sort of ask or answer some questions or take it down a conversation. And again, if that then fails, port that through to an agent. But um, but yeah, I, I would say proactive works much better than reactive in our experience at the moment in the bot world.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a particularly interesting use case. So I guess you can kind of almost dictate the flow of the conversation, whereas if the customer speaks to a bot as well, it could go anywhere. Um, so I think, yeah, that's a really, yeah, it's it's, a, it's another very, very fascinating um, trend. And that kind of uh, brings me on to our final trend, uh, and that is hyper-personalization. This has been quite a big buzz term. Within the CX uh, space at the moment, but where are you kind of currently seeing it to uh, deliver value?
1: I mean, it's almost a continuation of that 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 data conversation with bots. So all this is about data. Um, uh, I've been talking for a while about this notion of a me economy. Um, so if you learn about me and then deliver a much more hyper-personalized service to me, that makes my life easier. Uh, that means I don't have to repeat myself. That maybe makes the right choices for me, because I always say choice is great. Too much choice is not. Um, we're always looking for an easy life. So um, easy always comes out very high in terms of customer preferences. So if I can use data to do all of that to improve the customer experience absolutely you can have my data in the first place because it's an it's it's an advantage for me so we need to always ask what's in it for me um so that looking at the customer obviously with things like gdpr um if the customer's not finding it useful they can opt out or they can just say i'm not going to share my data in the first place and then hyper-personalization will not work. Um, but generally what we're seeing is this continuum, I guess. So personalization is is one step. Um, so that's really around learn about me, meet my needs. Then there's the proactive piece, again, tying back to those proactive bots. So tell me stuff I need to know on the right channel at the right time, but don't get annoying. Um, and I, I use the analogy of, if you were walking along the street and someone continuously tapped you on the shoulder and said, hey, do you want to know about this? if you don't wanna know about it, it rapidly becomes annoying. So again, you turn around and you punch that person. So um, so I'm not encouraging punching here, but, so, but that's probably what you would do. And again, the data equivalent of that is, okay, you're, you've now become annoying, I'm gonna turn this off. And then, of course, you've got personalized, you've got proactive, and then you can get into the deep AI and machine learning stuff around prediction. So uh, and prediction, as we we know (laughs) of old, uh, can get creepy. And again, there's a fine line between a butler and a stalker. Um, So I want the butler. I don't want the stalker. So if uh, the organization knows way more about me than I know, um, that's just creepy. And again, it's going to cause me to go, "Mm, you're not having my data. So. I think with hyper personalization, particularly as we get into sort of the the internet things world, the smart everything world the uh the the edge compute type world um is an interesting one because a lot of it is my data, and as I said, I have every right right to say no you're not having it anymore if you start to get creepy or if you're just not you're being annoying. Um, so I think we need to think about that human element and always ask the question, what's in it for the customer uh, in terms of that? and um, Because I think customers are very much open to personalization, proactivity, and potentially prediction as well. But um, we just need to make it a good experience.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's one point there as well, which I kind of really wanted to emphasize that you've made there in terms of you know, in 2023 we are going to be moving to a cookieless world as well and how is that going to impact the data that we collect and the hyper personalization strategy but yeah again lots of uh, lots of really great points. Um, I love the, I love the example of just constantly tapping somebody on the shoulder as well uh, not that we're going to advocate uh, violence on uh, CX today uh, but yeah five really fascinating trends there in the metaverse hybrid working video conversational AI, As well as personalization and i was just kind of wondering as my final question um, to you which other trends are kind of exciting you in terms of the future of cx
1: Um, i just think the evolution of the contact center itself is is quite exciting from it's not not a center necessarily anymore um so it's it's sort of a a network of experts and we've been talking about that for a while around how do we network expertise so it's largely about speed dating problems with the customer um, and the right person in the organisation to solve those problems. So, I think that sort of evolution of what the function of the contact centre is, the value it adds to the organisation, I think still needs to be recognised a lot more. Um, that that personal touch, that human touch, they are the human face of the organisation. Um, so, how do we make sure that you know all of those elements are there to make them um, work well in the future? But I, I, I mean, there's been lots of talk about them becoming, you know, knowledge hubs and things like that. So. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I think it's an exciting time at the moment. Lots of things coming together. All of the trends we just uh, talked about will probably drive, you know, very significant change within the industry.
0: Mm, absolutely. I think it's been a very fascinating question, uh, conversation. And I've kind of loved that point, how the contact centre will change as well. You know, we've been talking about it becoming a customer experience hub. And I think it'll be fascinating to see the evolution it has. But I think that's a great place to end today's conversation. It's been fascinating, as always, to talk to you, Nicola. So thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thank you. Pleasure.
0: And thank you, everybody, for watching. Uh, Bye for now, and we'll see you again soon.